On this episode of Deal and Extend, we discuss people leaving Linux to go back to Windows. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 95 of Deal and Extend. This is our last episode as Extend next week. You'll hear us as Linux out loud, but for the time being, Deal and Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community, places like the DLN Discourse Forum, Telegram Group, Discord Server, and more. We also snack topics from shows across the network and give you our takes. With me today are the two fighting children, Matt and Nate. Welcome back. Are we done for now? No. Never, Mom. We're never done, Mom. <laughs> Matt started it. You started it. Well, to be fair, he probably did. Of course he did. No, this time it was Nate. Actually, I think you... You did start it this time, Nate. Nate started it with the show notes, so... Oh, you're right. I did. I did make a disparaging remark about you. And I made one back, <laughs> and I made more, and then some more, and then some more. But yours wasn't disparaging. It was actually the truth. It's not really... It's like stating a fact. <laughs> no, but I did make disparaging factual remarks. The open source of plushie is comfy. I don't know what your problem is. It's nice. <laughs> So, Nate, I know you've been working on your network rack, and how is cleaning up going? Seems like a pretty big job. It is. I took a vacation about a month ago or so. There was a power outage and someone didn't know how to turn the whole thing back on. And I realized it was a spaghetti mess of all kinds of like you know, the power strips here and there. And it was uh, where I together like a Christmas tree. And so I decided it was time to clean it all up and to make it right. I did some reading, some research out there and wanted to find a good value two post rack that wouldn't break the bank, but also wouldn't fall apart on me. So I read a lot of reviews trying to figure out what the best course of action would be. So I ended up spending a little more than I really wanted to, but I got a new rack, a two post rack that's on casters so I can move around a little bit. I want to be able to like slide the thing around and sweep. I don't like dust bunnies and whatever. I know it's a basement and basements are just gross to begin with, but I like to keep it as clean as possible. Underscore the as possible part as much as possible. Anyway, so I decided I'd get some shelves and uh, I have a, a switch already that is rack mountable just need some brackets and so everything kind of made sense i bought like a master kind of a power thing you know like one switch for what it's called basically a mountable power strip that has plugs on both sides and then i was able to get rid of the power strips plug everything into this route everything all the cables and such you know power cables and the network cables in the channels and so forth so now i'm very happy as of like last night i put in the last piece that i really needed which is a drawer for all the knickknacks and whatnot and now it looks pretty nice there was one problem there is one problem i should say i bought this rack and i didn't really take into account the height of the rack and the height of my basement so it's actually sort of stuck between two floor joists like i have only so much i can move it side to side but it's where I want to keep it anyway. So it's not a big deal. It does annoy me a little bit that I bought something that's uh, about six inches too tall. Although over budget, it has vastly improved my network area. It looks much more respectable now. I think that wire management probably has to be one of the most important, yet one of the biggest pains in the butt when it comes to technology. And that's either if you're building your own tower, wires on your desk, or in your own network rack itself. Wire management just seems to get out of control so incredibly fast. I'm glad that you found a solution, but yeah, it's really easy to think, oh, it's going to be fine. And then you put it all together. Like when I built this desk, the plan was always for the tower to be under the desk, right? I didn't want to take up space with this gigantic tower sitting on top of the desk. So once it was all built and I had the cable management underneath it, I realized, oh, yeah, with all of that stuff down there, my tower doesn't fit very nice. So I do have it in an area where my desk can go up and down, but it can't go all the way to the very bottom, which means I have to have my chair just a little bit taller so my feet don't completely touch the floor while I'm sitting in the chair using my desk on the times that I actually do want it lowered down. I need to find a different solution to that. But as of right now, that's where it sits. I mean, these things happen. The nice thing is I can grow into this rack too. I did share a couple pictures of the before and after. Probably don't want to share those with the world because I don't want people to see how awful it was prior. But you can look and see how much of an improvement it was to the area. It's a space saver. It makes it look so much better. You know, I, I like that I can change and add things as time goes on. So 
I'm even looking at, and I, I want some opinions, but I have my pie hole is just sitting on my Switch right now, but I saw that there's actually a panel that I can screw into the 19-inch the you know, rack thing that I can put my Raspberry Pis into so I can have multiple Raspberry Pis sitting like as part of the rack. I think that's super cool, and that Ooh. saves me having to print another case. I thought that might be a, uh, a way to go potentially as well, but I, I don't know if that's really worth it. I mean, it's like 20 bucks for the faceplate that it would mount in. I would like to clean up a little bit more, and that'd be the only thing that's really left to do is maybe the, the Raspberry Pi, because it just kind of sits loose there. I guess it really depends on how many Raspberry Pis you actually want in the rack and the functions they're going to perform. So right now, I just have the one, and it is running my Pi Hole and Unbound, but I would love to have another one that runs a media server. And so... Having those both together would be kind of handy as it cleans up space. So mine is sitting right next to my router at the moment. But I can see as you're building and using these Raspberry Pis for continuous use services, having them in a rack would be really, really handy. It would be. Right now, I only have one that's being employed. And you know, some people would say maybe you should run it on a virtual machine instead or you know, like a Docker or something like that. I'm like, okay, I got it. But for me and my monkey brain, having a specific piece of hardware do that function works better for me right now. Kind of like the Raspberry Pi thing. Plus, you know, they're super cheap. And if I reboot my server because I did some upgrades or whatever, I don't have to make sure all the containers are automatically starting back up properly and, and doing whatever they have to do. I like Raspberry Pis. There's a, another project that I'm going to do sometime in the spring. It's, it's a lower priority project, but I have a weather station and it uses just a display that I have so I can see like what the actual weather is at my house. So temperature, waterfall, you know, wind and all that stuff. I want to be able to put it on Home Assistant. So what I'd like to do then is add another Raspberry Pi because Raspberry Pi is going to do this. So the Raspberry Pi is going to manage all that stuff and then spit out to Home Assistant. So that's another spot on that as well. So that would take up between the Pi hole and the weather station. That would be half of the mounts for Raspberry Pis in the rack mount support. I'm thinking about it. It seems like it's not a bad idea. You know, it's like 20 bucks. Maybe I should go for it. In fact... I'm going to blame Matt and say, uh, Matt convinced me to do this. I'm going to go ahead and buy that. I mean, Matt blames you for everything. You might as well blame him for buying the part to upgrade your rack. Right, exactly. Yeah, I stand corrected. 64, well, 65, you know, it's eight cents shy of 65. That is right. probably not the highest and best use of my dollars today. So I think I'm going to go ahead and push that off some and not buy it. I wonder why it said $20 earlier. What did I miss? I'm not sure. I would figure that you could get them way cheaper than $65 for that mount. That seems a bit ridiculous to me. Yeah, it does. Well, everything like rack mount is expensive, so I kind of understand it, but eh, 65 bucks, yeah, that's you're definitely uh, reducing your potential uh, client audience then, for sure. That's a price of two Raspberry Pis that I'd put in there. I mean... Exactly. I still need to get a different case for my Raspberry Pi. It was one of those things that I have looked at, I've decided on it, but I just haven't got it ordered. And I would really, really like to get a pie hole set up at my in-laws house. I think it would make a huge difference for their network in general. Really, really cool project, both with the Raspberry Pi itself and the pie hole. I believe you're right when you said that in this day and age, everybody needs it on their network. And I agree, like everybody really does with all of the extra junk that's constantly being pinged. Oh, for sure. For me anyway, it is a vast improvement to my home network. You know, I don't have a lot of bandwidth, so I, I need everything I can squeeze out of the thing. Yeah, we're both in that boat. And I've still been having some internet issues lately. And I think it's definitely more on the internet side than it is have anything to do with the Raspberry Pi. And I'd be afraid of how much worse it would be if some of those queries were actually being reached and using up additional bandwidth. Right. It'd probably make recording these podcasts almost impossible. Well, Matt, now that I am done with my network rearrangement, you are rearranging your recording studio. Most people who don't know, I keep a lot of my game consoles and all that stuff at my recording studio just because it makes it easier to have it kind of all in one place my current living situation don't have a whole lot of room so the recording space tends to quite help in that regard the corner of my desk is just a conjumble of like in your case nate wires and hardware just kind of piled on top of each other and just i had the ps4 with the wii u on top of it with the switch dock on top of it to give you an indication of what that looked like that has since changed the area that i use for my streaming i've rearranged so that a couple of the console the older gen consoles yes nate the ps3 and the wii u are considered old now that is fake news so i had an older hdtv that i had that i put over on that side that i can also use as a secondary monitor for 
when I uh, put a laptop or a workstation back down there. Just trying to clean up some of the clutter and the mess and that kind of stuff over in my office corner and dewire some of the back and rearrange some of the plugs to make it a little bit cleaner. So that way the clutter, it doesn't feel like when you sit down to work that you're crossing over all the wires, just trying to like move the mouse kind of deal. <laughs> really, really annoying. That's basically been my project for the week. I do want to say the PlayStation with the Wii U and the Switch on top of it, that's a gaming power of tower. So I think that that's totally acceptable. I don't see any problem with that. It might be acceptable. Makes wiring when you have to rearrange things if you want to use your capture card a pain. I really can't say too much. I just dropped an image and element of what the one side of my desk looks like at the moment. To be fair, we are getting ready to start co-op tomorrow with a bunch of these computers, but it is an absolute mess. I clean my desk off every single week. Like it gets cleaned off, rearranged, everything is nice in order. And this is what it looks like by Wednesday when we're recording. It's just an absolute jumble of everything. And to be fair, I'm not the only one who sets things on this desk, unlike Matt. But <laughs> yeah, I really can't say anything. It's always a mess. I really like that printer. That printer is huge compared to all the machines you got stacked. <laughs> <Not gonna lie. laughs> I got the same printer, so. <laughs> the laser printers are massive in comparison to some of the other inkjet, which actually my old inkjet is probably pretty dang close to the same size as that. Though I have to say this is way heavier then my old inkjet printer mm -hmm. thing is the quality and the crispness that comes out of this thing. Oh, I wouldn't trade for the world. The thing I would trade is I actually need new ribbons for pretty much all of the colors, including black right now. And that's the part that kind of stinks a bit. You said ribbon, and that made me laugh because obviously use dot matrix printers for talking about ribbons because those are toner cartridges. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I know. For some reason, I was thinking ribbon. Ribbon. Ribbons. <laughs> Man, I feel old. I feel old. Well, now you just defined your age, and I hope you keep that in there. And Wendy, I do love the fact that I can see the Surface Book sitting there underneath all the other Surface devices. <laughs> mm, yes. Yes. Well, that one's my husband that you see, and then mine's over in the corner. I did add some new stickers to mine. So last time I showed you... It had the sturgeon on it. Now I've got a coffee cup that says no coffee, no worky, and a picture of Ashy Slashy. So it's almost complete. The no coffee, no worky thing that doesn't surprise me with you. It may surprise some people. Then I am a fan of Ash vs. Evil Dead. So there you go. This was a fun fact you didn't want to know about Wendy. But for those of <laughs> us that know you, we already knew. <laughs> yes, you did. Speaking of changing things around and doing things that are painful for a lot of us, Wendy, it seems like you're going back to something that you find extremely painful to go back to. Yes, I am. And this is not my choice at all. My daughter absolutely loves the Bendy games, but she's been on a Five Nights at Freddy's kick here for quite a while. Um, actually just got her several Five Nights at Freddy's books for Christmas. And now she got another one here recently. Very much big into this game. Of course, just like Sonic, right? She really needs to collect them all. Needs to have all of the games. One of them is, I think, Help Wanted is the name of it, and it is a VR-style game. So all of my kids have been saving up their money because they want to buy a VR headset. They found some, of course, you know, going to go used, not a new one, but they found some that they really, really like, and currently this version of Five Nights at Freddy's is on sale. When she was doing the looking on it, on the compatibility pages for Steam, she sees that, yeah, you can get it to work on Linux, but you can't get it to work right now with the VR headset, which she was totally bummed about. So I'm like, it's okay, we could go ahead and put one partition of Windows on your laptop, so there'll still be the Linux partition, which she does work in, but when she wants to play this game, she can jump into the Windows system and be able to use the VR headset. We do have an Xbox, and for some reason, I was thinking that the headset that she wanted, you could connect directly to the Xbox. No, you can't do that. You have to use the computer and then have it linked to the Xbox. So she might as well just play it from the laptop in general because we can get the game right now way cheaper from Steam than we can directly from Xbox anyway. So this means that I will be installing Windows 10 again on a system 
I already have a bunch of Windows tracking crap blocked at the pie hole level, so it's not as worrying there for that point. And then I know it's a system that won't be logged into on a regular basis. Most of her work will still be done in Happy Plasma using Manjaro. But for game reasons, we will once again have a window system in the house so they can do these VR games. Well, I don't know a whole lot about FNAF, but I understand it's very popular amongst the kids. Out of curiosity, Wendy, what VR headset models specifically were you looking at? Were you guys looking at like indexes or vibes or? She was looking at the Oculus Rift. Gotcha. Is there a better option to go with? Better is relative. Uh, <laughs> if it's me, I'm just going to put it that way. I would personally go with the HTC Vives. You can generically, depends on location, you can sometimes find them fairly cheap, a couple hundred bucks, as opposed to like the 11, 1200 that they came out at. That's just my personal preference. I know there is a way to make the Vive work on Linux. I'm not sure like what features and functions. I haven't looked at VR for a long, long time. So the problem with Oculus, a lot of people take issue with, is the Facebook stuff. So Right. And this is definitely one of the older models. And so if the older models are still needing to use any of the Facebook stuff, I don't want it in the house. Um, obviously, I have Facebook blocked also at the Pi-Ho level. It has been something that even though we weren't using it in the house, I was still seeing it constantly being pinged with our network uses. And I do not want to be sending stuff to companies that A, I'm not using and B, don't need my information. So that would definitely be a reason for me to stay away from Oculus. I forgot that they had been bought out there by Facebook so the HTC is definitely a good option. I will talk to her and do some looking. The version that she was looking at, because it was an older version of it, we were finding it in that $150 to $200 range, which is kind of in mm. the sweet spot. Oh, definitely. And the one that got away from us, which I'm kind of glad we didn't get now, was really, really nice. It had a case, an extra sensor. Like, it was really looked like it was in good condition. So my daughter had sent it to me. And by the time I looked it up to see what shipping and all of that stuff was going to be, it was already gone. It was already sold. So obviously that one wasn't meant to be. It just wasn't the one we were meant to own. I needed to be able to talk to you guys on the show and see what Matt says about the VR headsets before we bought one. As a sidebar, ironically, when you're looking at Facebook Marketplace for something that isn't Oculus, the Vive... I'm just using Marketplace as an example because this is usually a better indication of like overall price as opposed to like eBay or whatever. Right. On the used market. I'm not saying that, you know, you got your Craigslist and swap it and all the other kind of stuff. But generically, from what I'm seeing price-wise, this comes with the controllers and all the other stuff. A complete package for a Vive is about 300-ish, give or take. They run from like 250 to 300 for a full package. That's a bit more than what we were wanting to spend for a one. If it's higher quality or it doesn't have to deal with the Facebook stuff, that might be workable. And I can also check local pawn shops because Craigslist here is absolutely trash. Like, we don't use it. You only oh, yeah, post yeah. If to Craigslist around here if you want junk ads. I haven't sold anything using Craigslist for absolutely ever. I hate to dive into Facebook, as we know. But the buy-sell trade there is probably one of the best. We're just such a smaller community in general around here that a lot of these larger or pop-up buy-sell trade applications just don't seem to work because there's not enough people in the area using them in order to be able to find anything or what you want. Oh, I hear you. Like, again, this is a total side tangent, but as bad as it sounds, this is the one reason that I keep a Facebook account is between the few people that still message me on Messenger that I still need to talk to. <laughs> And the marketplace is a hard thing to be like, oh, I'll just, you know, whatever. Like it's, I found some stuff that I wouldn't have found if I didn't use it. Yeah. I totally get where you're coming from. And this is being around Lancaster too, which is more, you know, populated, quote unquote, but definitely, definitely understand what you're going for there. What version of the quest was she looking at? They were looking at unlocking one of the Oculus versions at one point to get rid of like all the Facebook nonsense. So... I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I think I still have one in my cart on eBay. It's one, of course, we couldn't actually purchase because it was a pickup only in Virginia. That's way across the country. We're not traveling to Virginia for a pickup only item. Yeah, that's just not the way that works. But 
I'd be able to tell you exactly no the model that she was looking at. I know, right? I mean, really, why wouldn't we take a cross-country road trip to go pick it up? <laughs> because I know, I think it was the Oculus Go headset, which was um, John Carmack was looking to um, some way have it opened up and like unlocked so that you could do pretty much whatever you would with it. That would be perfect. The first thing I'm seeing, and granted it's from The Verge, so I take that with a grain of salt. Um, the Oculus Go operating system is being unlocked, John Carmack announces. So that was back in September. Something just to... To keep an eye on and do some a little bit mm-hmm. more research on before we actually hit that one pretty hard. So yeah, she was looking at the Oculus Rift, the CV1, so the first version of the Rift. But I would much rather get one, have way more flexibility in use. Starting in October 2020, everyone using an Oculus device for the first time will need to log in with Facebook. If you're an existing user or already have an Oculus account, you'll have the option to log in with Facebook and merge your Oculus and Facebook accounts. If you're an existing user and choose not to merge your accounts, you continue using the Oculus account for two years. Well, dang it. Sounds like Oculus is a dead platform, dead hardware. Yeah, it's a no-go. Oculus yep. is a no-go. Unless the Go is unlocked. Again, this stuff is from a year ago. So the Quest 1 or the Quest 2 or both? To quote PC Gamer, Oculus Quest VR headsets to eliminate mandatory Facebook account login requirement. So it sounds like they came and make up their mind. Right now you need an active Facebook account in order to set up the Oculus Quest 2. Okay, so I think we'll look in a little bit more to the HTC Vive ones. I don't know what the Valve Index looks like as far as price, seeing how it's $1,000 starting and it's Steam of Valve, so it's probably uh, secondhand market yeah. probably nearly as good on that. Really, those are your two options right now. If you don't want a Facebook requirement where things are so up in the air, it's either going to be a, a Vive or an Index. And the Index is like mad expensive. Well, we don't want mad expensive. Uh, well, I don't blame you. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now's the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean. Their new app platform service helps you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. Simply point App Platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let it do all the heavy lifting. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, and containers. By running App Platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower than any other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup, too. As a DLN Extend listener and member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app on their App Platform for free, and it gets better. DigitalOcean will give you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash dln. Again, go to do.co slash dln to get started with your free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Speaking of Windows, Matt came across this article That got him all kinds of hot under the collar and looking through it myself, there are some things in here that just had me going, what in the world is going on? Scratching my head. It's titled, 10 Things Why People Quit Linux for Windows and Why They're Wrong. Okay, I can kind of see some of the goal behind this, but in reading through this article, I don't know. Point number two, where he was saying that people don't try out Linux first. And for me, I was 100% in from the very beginning. I knew that I was tired of Windows, so I had my own additional reasons why I was making the switch, why I was looking for something else. So it really didn't matter whether I tried it first or not, because I was pretty determined to learn this new thing. But I can see how somebody can get frustrated with the fact that... It's completely new and trying to figure out something new. But this is the other question I'd kind of like to drop. Like my situation, do you think a lot of the people that are trying out Linux the first time that are really going, looking for the ISOs, downloading it, installing it to their own system, do you think that that point is a big of a deal for them as opposed to you've installed it on a Linux system and handed it to somebody else? I think someone who is willing to download an ISO and try it. They obviously have 
some level of technical or desire for technical knowledge. Whenever somebody asks me what they should do, I always recommend that they install Linux on a secondary machine. Don't install it on your primary machine. Test it on something else. And I never recommend dual booting. I know a lot of people do it, but I just don't think it's viable anymore, especially the whole EFI thing, how it messes with stuff. I mean, if some people can pull it off, great. Go ahead and go forth and do great things. But there are some distributions that sort of take over the bootloader. And then every time there's a Windows update, that screws up with the bootloader too. So it's all these different little potential for issues. Yeah, it's one of those things that I really think if you're going to have two different systems, especially Windows and a Linux system on the same computer, they really should be on separate drives, not on the same drive. My biggest issue with this is it doesn't actually tell you probably the best way to get the closest to raw metal performance that you can get. This person talks about WSL. They talk about running a VM or you could even buy a small Linux computer like a Raspberry Pi, which that one I'll agree with. Or how about you, you know, use a USB stick and plop it into a computer. There you go. (laughs) Test out the live USB. No fuss, no muss. You don't have to worry about your drives. You don't have to worry about anything. No coconuts. A key feature that we've had for 15 plus years now is totally ignored. But WSL, really? (laughs) Like, okay, I guess if you're an admin, I just find the suggestions lacking in so many ways. It's not even funny with this particular article as far as like, oh, you didn't try it first. Well, the easiest way to try it is stick it on a pen drive and call it good. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Last time I tried WSL, I couldn't get it to install properly, like the whole thing. I went through the Microsoft store thing and it just crashed out the system. And that was the last time I tried WSL. Although that was 2018 to be fair. So it was kind of early in its days. Maybe I should try it again, but I don't have a Windows machine to try it on. I'd have to put like Windows in a VM on Linux and then try WSL, I think maybe. Mm, That sounds like an absolute mess. I think it sounds like my life. (laughs) (laughs) Like an absolute mess, huh? Not wrong, but wow. Wait, Matt, you're supposed to insult me. I'm not supposed to insult me. But it's more fun when you insult yourself, so it saves me for jokes for later. My internal monologue inadvertently shut off. It glitched out. You know, there's a bug. It crashed. And the service restarted just inappropriately. Yeah, it happens. But one of the other suggestions that this person makes is, you know, after you look at the live USB and maybe you want to install it. And one of his things is Linux would install. Try a different distro. This, I'm all for distro hopping. What I am not a fan of is the brushing under the rug of an experience of like a Linux distro not installing. So like, you know, the installer crashes out or something, you know, and it overwrites Windows or, you know, whatever OS you're overwriting. Their solution is simple. Make a note of your computer model and run a web search for it with plus Linux or install Linux appended to the term. This will return all the information you need about which Linux operating system will work on your hardware. That is a lie. That's a bit antiquated information, I think. Antiquated? I had serious issues when I was installing Linux on my desktop for the very, very first time. And it had something to do with a power management option on this pre-built motherboard that I was using. And there was nowhere that I looked that could help me figure out what the heck was going on because I would post a form and I was like, oh no. And it ended up me doing some digging and just playing in the BIOS that I figured out, oh, this was an option. And then after that, I didn't have a problem with getting distros installed. So just because you're installing a different distro doesn't mean it's going to work. It could be an issue in the BIOS, in the UFI, and has nothing to do with the distro itself. As someone who's jumps hardware quite frequently, it's not as simple as, oh, just jump distros. Believe it or not, sometimes it's the hardware. Like, legit. This comes across as kind of a a condescending, you're doing it wrong, so try a different one. I got a better idea. If it won't install, help the person troubleshoot why it won't install. And the other thing when it comes to doing searches for your model and whatnot, there's so many times that the really old information comes up and it's no longer beneficial or useful. If it's something to do with hardware that needs to be changed, yeah, the old stuff can help. But if it's something to do with the change in the distribution itself, a lot of these old search results can just leave the user more frustrated. I sort of feel like this article is written to someone who's an island unto themselves, trying it without reaching out to any sort of community ahead of time. Like if you don't know anybody that uses Linux, 
or have even like listened to Link's podcast? Uh, the way I'm looking at this is even if these people are going to go out and search for themselves to do this, they're going to go on to forums. They're going to find places like the discourse forums for us or the telegram groups or the, you know, element or wherever they're going to find it. Are they? If they're being told to go search anyway, because that's the solution this person gives, which I think is ignorant. If a person asks a question, regardless of if the platform, etc., I'm not discounting the crappy experience they're having installing the system. That doesn't discount that for whatever reason it failed, might want to look at it, distro makers. I'm saying if a person has this issue and they don't have maybe the technical expertise of like narrowing it down, instead of kind of coming across... I'm going to have to reword that. Just be helpful citizens to new Linux users. Good, bad, indifferent. Articles like this, this just comes across as, oh, Google it or RTFM. And their RTFM is try a different distro. That's not how it works. Like part of the, the biggest strength of Linux is the community. So you have to rely on that community to sometimes get your answers. That's true. No, I also don't think that switching to Linux is any more challenging than going from Windows to Mac. Right. And I think that has to be put in context as well. People who like Mac, they like Mac, so they're going to be happy there. But someone who's not used to the Mac paradigm of how things work and just I guess don't, aren't in the same you know, vein of thought as their developers and their user experience people, it's going to be just as difficult. I find using a Mac very frustrating because it seems like the things that would be very easy to get to with my time on Windows and Linux is a challenge in Mac. And I can't remember what it was now. It's been years. I've personally been very frustrated on the Mac user interface. It's probably better now. No, it's not. So I think people have to be fair about the Switch too. They have to approach it with an open mind. They have to realize this is not that. So don't expect the same tooling or don't expect the same pointy clicky functions it is a different experience it's no more difficult it's no i don't think it's any email i think it's easier but i don't see it as being any more difficult than using windows it's just a different experience so here's a question for you nate do you think somebody who is switching from windows to mac because of the monetary investment it's usually a lot more to go the mac route especially if you're buying new but do you think that monetary investment that they've made pushes them to learn the system instead of just giving up and going back to what they were on before? That is a good question. And I will say based on other experiences in my life, once you invest in something monetarily, you have made a commitment because money is not just numbers in a bank account or something that makes your wallet uncomfortable. It is a representation of your time. And so when you are investing money into something, you're also investing your time a part of your life that you have already expended. Going to Mac does have that barrier of entry. Once you cross that barrier, you're committed. And I think because Linux has a very low barrier of entry as far as the finance bit of it, sometimes people are not willing to make that time commitment because they didn't have the previous time commitment already put into it. The obligation feeling that you have when you drop that kind of money on, let's say like a new MacBook Pro or whatever. You know, like the obligation you feel to put the time commitment into it is vastly different than the one you would feel with a lower barrier to entry with something like Linux. And what I think is also kind of bonkers, when something crashes out on Linux, not Linux, but like let's say you're trying to run a game or something, and this is kind of leading into point number six of his, we'll know your software will work. When the software that is made for Windows crashes on Linux, Linux is blamed for it. But when you're running that same application on Windows and it crashes on Windows, they blame the software. Where's the disconnect? You know, the fact that anything runs in Linux as it is, that somebody took the time to do cheetah flips and figure out how to make it work somewhat is an amazing feat as far as I'm concerned. The whole Wine project, the whole crossover project is amazing that they're able to get things to work that were not actually meant to work. That's a whole nother beef that I have. I get where you're coming from, Nate, with the finger pointing. Point the finger at the right thing. Like, I'm going to blame the application. I'm not going to blame Linux for it not running Windows design software. That's like people complaining, uh, I can't get iMovie or GarageBand on Windows. But if there's a way to get it on Windows and they crash out, they're probably going to blame the app and not Mac OS or whatever. It's just weird how they come up to that. But one of the issues I do take with is you bring up point number six is kind of the blanket statement that he makes where it's like, while Windows software cannot be installed or run natively, it can be run on Linux with tools such as Wine. The software adds the necessary compatibility so that Windows software can run on Linux. It's usually used alongside a front end. Play on Linux for ease of use. Almost any Windows software can be run on Linux thanks to Wine and Play on Linux. 
two things I'm going to take issue with this. Play on Lennox, that shows the ancientness of this person's knowledge when it comes to this, because those scripts are mad old, generically. You're going to want to use Lutris if you're going to go that route, because it has a much more support behind it. I'm not going to lie, the front end for it is... As much as I'm not a fan of it from a UI perspective, it's a ton easier to figure out than Play on Linux. Like Play on Linux is easier way of managing wine. But to say that almost any Windows software can be run on Linux thanks to Wine and Play on Linux, that is too much of a blanket statement. That's overselling. And when people go to install insert app Windows application here and it under delivers, you hurt the entire product. You hurt the entire ecosystem by making stupid statements like that. And not everything will work through some of those additional applications. And it goes back to the point before, it's not Linux's fault. These applications were not made for Linux. You can find some excellent applications that are alternatives to the ones that you were using. It is definitely one of those trial and error things. And it's just going to take time to figure it out. There is not going to be any switch from any desktop environment, from any platform that a clean go from the beginning. The best way to minimize that pain, find applications that are cross-platform. Because then realistically, from a user perspective, the underlying OS matters a whole lot less. I want to make one caveat on Windows software running in Linux. Uh, years ago, when I did have a lot more Windows software, I did run. I was very involved in a Code Weavers project. I did a lot of beta testing and testing applications that I use on a regular basis. There is a large majority of applications that will run in Linux, specifically through Crossover, because they do a great job, but not everything and not necessarily perfectly. There's a lot to be said for that whole project, and I think that they're doing a good job and they're making great headway in getting Windows applications working in Linux cleanly. In my testing, I have found that Many of the applications I do run in Linux tends to run more efficiently using Wine than it does in Windows, the, the applications I run personally. So there is also that. One of the things we also talked about was hardware and stuff not working out of the box necessarily. I really take issue with the you're doing it wrong approach that this person takes with point eight. Hardware will work. Literally, he states, you're doing it wrong. That title in of itself, I have a problem with. Most hardware will run with Linux with little or no effort. Depends on the distro. Printers, mice, keyboards, even game controllers and audio accessories usually work without any trouble. It's not unheard of for USB devices to not run on Linux, but it is very unusual for all but the latest devices. Yes and no. Here's the thing. I would love to hand him that Lenovo laptop that my daughter uses. You can boot into it beautifully using the NVIDIA drivers on a USB stick. You install that dang thing with the drivers and then, oh, look at that. You can't boot the system. So, yeah, I do take issue with that. Sometimes it is the hardware itself. Yeah, sometimes there's things that you do need to do differently in order to install things on that laptop. But that doesn't take into account all of the strange hardware that's out there. But every single piece of hardware to just blanket statement that if it's not working and you're doing it wrong, I also agree is an issue. There's just far too many pieces of hardware out there for that blanket statement to be true. If we were to rewrite this to make it more accurate, I would say hardware won't work. You're probably using NVIDIA. <laughs> Basically, if it won't work, it's probably NVIDIA or something like that. But like keyboards, mice, things like that. Most of that stuff, yeah, does work and does work great. Uh, no issues. You might has some trouble with some graphics tablets, or you might have trouble with NVIDIA. The fact that he says it like that is kind of bothersome, really. That can set some very false expectations Linux will totally miss. It all just works. If you have unique hardware or, or something along those lines, make sure you search and that there are no compatibility issues. Make sure it's in the kernel or something like that. I realize that's probably higher level stuff, but some things just won't work right now because the company that makes it isn't supporting Linux. It's not the fault of Linux. It's the fault of the company that makes the hardware. But perhaps the biggest thing that probably set me off the most, we all know I take a very dumbed down, I'm going to take and view Linux as like, here's a Steam machine that I built, you know, very appliance thing when it comes to Linux gaming, because I think it's the more correct way to sell pitch and overall a better use case observation of how people are actually going to use the thing and a way to sell it to other people. Oh, it's a console. So the expectations are a little bit different for a console than, oh, it's a drop in replacement for Windows. This person 
perhaps the killer for many Windows users retreating from Linux is the supposed lack of game compatibility. After all, Windows is known as a gaming platform where Linux is not. No, I would state that Mac OS is not. And that's based on solely the sole anecdotal evidence of I have a thousand games in Steam and 110 of them are playable on Mac OS, supposedly. And if you have 32-bit, you're out of luck there too. However, Linux has a great pedigree for gaming. Linux underpinnings almost every retro gaming platform you can think of. There's even a Steam OS available for download and the operating system for the forthcoming Steam Deck. Don't download that old version of Steam OS because, yeah, Debian, and it's like Debian 8 or whatever. <laughs> Steam OS is old and crusty. Don't use it. <laughs> if anybody had any lack of knowledge, they would not make that recommendation. The version on the Steam Deck is forthcoming. And that is the update for SteamOS, which is where they're switching from a dev base to their, they're switching to Arch and all the other stuff. Uh, software like Lutris can add further compatibility and also introduce further breakage. I'll expand on that by saying if you start installing other launchers like Uplay and Origin and all the other stuff and they push updates, guess what? Sometimes those updates break the launcher. So you can't play your games on Linux anymore. Great experience. He talks about Proton and various technologies being developed by Codeweavers and Valve and all the other stuff, which is great. I love Proton. It's opened up gaming so much better than it ever was from a native perspective. But one of the games that caught my eye that he recommends is Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. This currently, as of this recording, is rated bronze on Proton BD, trending downward to Borks. Oh boy. So many things I could say to this. To me, some of these recommendations show either that they didn't thoroughly research a lot of their stuff or they really don't know this stuff. My biggest problem with stuff like this is like, if you're going to sell it as a great experience and all the other stuff, show the great examples of the experience, but keep a realistic point of view. If you're making recommendations for things that are going to have a horrible experience, you're doing a disservice to the platform. That's my problem, like with this entire thing. But generically, stuff like that, it's misinformed on so many levels. It kind of glosses over some of the problems. It's a 20 second, you know, even Google search or protondb.com, Marvel's Guardian of the Galaxy. So, hey, look, it's basically borked. As a gamer and a guy that plays games on Linux, like one of the games I'm playing right now through the Heroic Launcher, because I use native solutions, ironic. I'm playing Final Fantasy VII uh, Remake Integrate, I believe, or however, whatever they call it, on Linux. That is awesome. I love it. But there are also other kludgy things of like when I want to play a game like Syndicate 2012, I have to go to Lutris, go to the community tab for the Lutris and click install for the, the origin script. Then I have to log into origin and then I have to download. And then uh, halfway through the update, you have to stop origin and re go back into origin. It's a bad user experience. You can do it. It's relatively easy, but there are so many annoying nuances that most users aren't going to want to deal with it. Again, this to me is an oversell, under-deliver kind of thing. I will say his statement about gaming on likes is better than Mac OS and catching up to Windows on a monthly basis. Yes, it's catching up to Windows and it's a ton better than Mac OS. But you're seeing everything through rose-colored glasses and you don't want to take those glasses off. He is correct that Linux underpins almost every retro gaming platform you can think of. That is true. I will give him points there. The modern gaming, you know, the stuff that you do and pretty much the rest of the world. I don't have a dog in the hunt on that one. He needs to be very careful on that because if it's not good to oversell and then underdeliver. In fact, that's probably the worst strategy. It should be more cautionary there saying you got about, you know, X percentage of games work of the AAA titles, X percentage or whatever. That's so be warned there. If these things are important to you, it's probably not a good idea. But I understand like his premise for the article was why quitting Linux is, you know, you shouldn't do that. I think you shouldn't go for Linux expecting to do everything exactly the same as Windows, especially if you're a AAA gamer. I don't think it's a bad thing to say, yes, you can play a lot of games on Linux, but no, you can't play every game. So if you want to play XYZ, then yes, you need to keep a Windows box around. Let's be honest about the fact that we do have a better gaming experience than Mac, but we also have a worse gaming experience for some games as compared to Windows. That's just the truth. Right. And it's good to be fair. It's good to be objective on that and being like, I love this platform. Don't get me wrong. I also understand there are weaknesses in it. And there are, I also understand that it's going to have its pros and cons like everything else. 
I'm just going to leave it at this. I think some of the, well, a majority of these points I find oversell, under deliver. To me, it comes across more as a puff piece to like, this is all Lennox, it is positive and great without actually any sense of realism or, well, like Nate said, a silo to their own. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the passive manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. This conversation has been tons of fun, but let's move on to something even more fun, and that is Matt's Game of the Week. What do you have for us today? I have a parkour first-person game, which is called Mirror's Edge. So this is a not a combat-heavy game, but this is literally a game where you run around and jump and climb and do a bunch of other fun, random things. Uh, like one of the combat things is like you kick the bad guys off the top of tall buildings and stuff. It's just one of those like every parkour scene you've ever seen in a movie got stuck in a video game basically and it's just a fun game to play supposedly it's rated platinum on proton but there are some things that might not work all that well granted some of these reports that i looked at were more tinkerer reports unless the regular steam play versions or the proton versions from steam currently as of this moment of recording it is five dollars on steam you can get the origin version if you want but i would get the steam version personally definitely a fun first person game to play definitely a different game Ironically, it's from EA and Nate. Technically, as of 2022, it's a 15-year-old game, so it might, might be up your alley. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's not up my alley, but it's interesting. <laughs> I meant from an age perspective. Oh, from an age perspective. I get it. It's Oh, it's almost there. It's almost there. Just spent another 20 years on top of it. I mean, it is Electronic Arts, and they made some really great Commodore 64 stuff back in the day. Yes, but they have questionable practices now. And speaking of questionable things, though, Nate, you had some questionable things hanging across your lawn and stuff, apparently. Yes. So I am, I started doing it myself and decided that I may be at my limit of what's considered safe, but I'm clearing out some trees so I can install solar panels, a rather large array to power up my cubicle estate here. The issue is, well, I got some of the lower branches off and they're pretty big branches, but you know, they're uh, about a a foot and a half in diameter. They're just kind of reaching out and half the tree's fallen over already. Obviously not all of it. When I'm doing that, the loud cracking and popping as the tree shifts, and also it doesn't necessarily always go in the direction you think, and so you have to like duck parkour your way out of uh, getting hit by a log. I find myself like cutting a little bit and then running away, and then cutting a little bit because it starts going crack, pop, crack, pop. And so I decided I'm just going to hire a professional to remove the tree. They can just leave it right there because I'll use the wood, but I just want to get the tree out of the way so it doesn't actually fall on my solar panels because that would be awful. It's a lot of work, one, to remove trees. They're very hard they move in ways when you take them apart. It's really quite dangerous. As I reach back to the beginning of the show, I clean up my network system because I got to have the system that's getting installed will have a module on the network to monitor the uh, power use and power production as well. So very close to being on the solar. Even in the wintertime, supposedly it does good. So we'll see how it goes. This has been a project that's been in the works since you moved in this house. I'm really excited to see it finished up. And thank you for going ahead and hiring somebody else out to do this. My husband at one point, Magneto, worked for the Forest Service and he was on the trail crew working to help cut down trees, clear the pathways and stuff. And just from... Even his time as a trained tree cutter, how dangerous those situations can be. I'm glad that you'll be staying around as we transition into Linux Out Loud instead of dying by getting hit by your tree. I'm excited too. 
So Wendy, I'm clearing out trees and you are extending your desk with trees or are they not made of trees? Part of it is made out of trees, but not the entire thing. I actually have two small filing cabinets that sit just off to the side of my desk and my printer was sitting on one of them. I know I've talked about before that there just isn't enough room on this desk, especially with Magneto working here so much more currently. And there was one Sunday where I was listening to Destination Linux and I was like, that's it. I'm extending the desk. We have to have more space. And so I'm using those two small filing cabinets as the legs for the desk. I had some leftover MDF that I built my desktop out of and I put that over top. I have some tiles, all kinds of tiles that I have used as backgrounds for photography. I pulled some of those, I laid them down on the desk and now I have a desk extension. Here's the bad thing about it. I have this really great desk extension uh, but Magneto still can't use it because right now it's piled with laptops for class. That's part of the picture that I shared with you guys earlier when we were talking back at the very beginning of the episode. You can see the extension that I've added to the desk. So the main desk is a heck of a lot wider than the extension that I threw together. But part of that is out of necessity. Is that where you put your printer? Yes, my printer is on that desk extension. It's on the very, very end of it. And all of that white tiled area is desk extension. And then when you get to the black, silver, gray, whiter piece, that is my actual desk that will come up and down. Even though Magneto can't use it right now, it's still been incredibly handy. Um, it may not work as a great workspace for him while I'm at the computer, but it will make a much better place to charge laptops during the semester. I'm not sad that I did it. It's been a great tool so far, but it isn't getting used for exactly what I was hoping it to get used for. I still need to figure out a better way for us to both work at the desk at the same time. But for now, I've got this desk extension that's already cluttered, already being used with all kinds of stuff. And it would be nice to have just an entire room that is all desk space. The desk goes all the way around the room. That'd be perfect. I think you'll find that no matter how much desk you give yourself, you will never have enough desk space. So I keep adding work surfaces in my areas. And I find those work surfaces get filled with work quicker than I can actually get through my work. So I, I think that it's a, I don't want to say it's a lose-lose, but that's an avalanche you can't ski up. Yeah, I guess I can already see that now because I'm like, oh yeah, this extra space. It's going to be so nice. Let it cover everything we need. I don't need any more. And then I'm like, no, I need a lot more space. So looking at my desk right now, there is all kinds of books and papers. And I know that there's dishes here on the desk that need to be taken away. Water cups, couple coffee cups. Like, yeah, there are some things that need to be cleaned off once again. But I do, like, as I mentioned, clean off my desk on a regular basis. You'll just always find more work to put on top of that desk. It's a never-ending story. Indeed. In this house, more devices. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for more information on how to contact our social channels and all of our shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links in the bottom of the show description or drop us a message by visiting the contact form at dlnextend.com contact. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store. Grab yourself some awesome DLN swag. We recently switched over to Redbubble as our vendor. The quality has been absolutely fantastic. Go check out all of the really cool and interesting things that are now up on Redbubble. I absolutely love the desk mats that are there. I really need to grab myself a Hardware Addicts one. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome show, but it'll be Linux Out Loud. Until then, have a great week, everyone. Mm-hmm.